Welcome back to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim O'Malley, joined by John Bryce of Irish Illustrated and FootballScoop.com and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. And we are, as Pete just was reminded, about a week away <laughs> from starting spring ball. Every once in a while, we all lose a week of life in our in our lives, Pete. That happened to me recently. But yeah, one week away from uh, the first spring practice and then a couple weeks thereafter until we have access again and, and they reconvene. So that's actually been something Brian Kelly introduced probably a decade ago, right, guys? That uh, get one practice in, you can review all that and you have a little bit of extra time for your spring. It's manufacturing more time in spring ball. Yeah, on the uh, on the day that we officially have an extra day to the shortest month of the year, Pete realizes he, he's lost a week somehow. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> there's a great serendipity there. Uh, no, it's it's an exciting time. There are a number of uh, exciting newcomers on campus, as well as guys we're waiting to see what kind of steps forward they take. We won't see obviously very much at all next Thursday, but I believe we do see the entire practice. So it'll be good just to see some of the early results of the off-season program and just sort of the way things are trending. Yeah, it's, I mean, the four-year anniversary of Kevin Austin Day uh, next week. And then to see, you know, the early enrollees, we all sort of fixate on, like, okay, who looks like they fit in physically, who doesn't? Um, There are always guys in both parties. Are there any other sort of off-season cleanup injuries that might stop a guy from participating? That's part of it. Um, You know, and then... With the grad transfers being what they are now, that's they're sort of like early enrollees. You want to see how they fit in. You know, I think we we have eyeballs, and we were with RJ Open and Riley Leonard a couple of weeks ago. I think that they will fit in just fine. Um, the the other ones, I am curious about though. Um, you know, where Jordan Clark fits into the secondary. You know, how they come out there uh, with those kind of reps. Who's who's helping Mike Mickens in the secondary? Um, you know, from a coaching point of view. So. It's um, it's a good reintroduction to to everything, but I mean, I think John sort of alluded to this. It's it's not it's not something that needs to be taken uh, with biblical proportions in terms of what it means long term. No, we have we'll one say- of those though. We do have one of those on April thirteenth. Oh, yeah. There, yeah, uh, that's, that's gonna be great. That's going to be the best open practice we will have seen in several years, um, at least back to two thousand eighteen, where they accidentally put a net out there for Pete and I to watch. Uh, everything went haywire after that but and two new arms to watch though uh next thursday i think that's fun because we obviously it was it was intrigued to watch sam hartman but when you throw a little cj Carr on top of riley leonard that makes it fun for uh especially when you're uh not getting hit at all and there's there's nobody hitting so those those two arms are something to kind of compare to angeli and minchie and you know marcus freeman wants four quarterbacks i hate to be the lead balloon guy he wants four quarterbacks for the spring Four quarterbacks are unlikely in the fall, and it's this is something for us to watch. Watch those quarterbacks starting out. Yeah, and I will say just quickly, I know we've had some people asking on the board about early buzz or anything like that, so I tried to ask around, get a little bit of intel over the past week, and I will say apparently the uh, the speed of Jaden Harrison has been quite obvious, quite eye-catching in some of the football school stuff and some of the other basically OTAs that Notre Dame has been executing over the past several weeks. So um, I'm excited to see that. There's been uh, understandably some some optimism about the younger linebackers, specifically Kingston has already flashed some and uh, Peyton Bowen taking that next step. They've said the same about Snead and Osbury. And then Bryce Young has flashed a little bit, just physically very raw. So those are some of the things I'm uh, looking forward to. 
breaking news there. Peyton Bowen is lashed uh, in the off season. <laughs> yeah. Or Drake Bo- or Drake Bowen. Yes. Uh, Drake, so sorry. Yeah. I did th- I did that like a month ago on the uh, podcast. I wonder so. I looked up and wondered why you clowns were laughing. Yeah. <laughs> you should have you should have just cut my Holy fool crap. self off. It would have been just uh, fun. No, He's one um, of those trigger words for us. That's so that's know. bad because somebody uh brought that recruitment up to me yet again this week. And so um <laughs> Uh, in, in the process of uh, some of the scouting. So anyway, I'm a fool. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I don't, unfortunately, I, you maybe guys can correct me if I'm wrong. They're like, we're not going to see Bo Collins or, um, yeah, Bird. out there or Rod Hurd there. So that, I mean, that would have been interesting to sort of see how they fit into the mix a little bit. Um, you know, Hurd in particular, because I think that he's got a chance to start next to, to Xavier Watts. Um, you know, what, where did they? I don't think we'll see this Thursday, but you know, uh, in that open scrimmage, where's Jalen Seed lining up? You know, what are, what are they doing with him? Um, you know, he's he's probably. I don't want to say he's the most intriguing guy on the roster to me, but he's way up there. Um, you know, and and not because I think he's going to start or get, uh, you know, fifty snaps a game. Just like how do you take advantage of that? So that that will be interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, I think. Thursday. It's about, all about newcomers. There are a ton of newcomers, both early enrollees and grad transfers. So uh, that's kind of what I'm going to be all over. Yeah, and he's okay. even as he's recovered from it from his ankle procedure, uh, I've just I've been told that Riley Leonard just has a really easy, already established demeanor with his teammates, and so I'll be be curious to sort of watch some of those dynamics. But he's been been praised as just sort of this every man that's found his way. Um, into already kind of knitting together some camaraderie with the team. And then the Clark kid, uh, they said, has uh, just shown some really good football intelligence and maturity. So I know he didn't have the most voluminous film coming from Arizona State, um, but those are just a few of the tidbits picked up along the last week. And, And guys, because of that, that I'll pay extra close attention to next Thursday. Two great interviews, too. Riley Leonard and Jordan Clark. Those two were fantastic to talk to. Um, Two new guys, not really, but we're going to pretend they're new because they were introduced to us as new. Mike Denbrock, the least new guy that's ever come to Notre Dame. We talked to Mike Denbrock last Friday for the first time since hiring. And also Max Bulla. I have managed not to say Chuck, and I'm hoping I can continue not to say Chuck, but we got to talk to Max Bulla, who was a joy to talk to because, as he pointed out, I was a linebacker's coach last year, and he was very uh, <laughs> adamant about that. I think you know it's not that surprising that Al Golden was able to delegate to him and why he was such an easy hire, John. Yeah, an, an easy hire, a, a smart hire, a good one to retain. You know, obviously the Chris O'Leary model was the predecessor, but he really grew, I think, since since Marcus got here in 21. We saw O'Leary elevate his skill set as a coach to new levels, and uh, Max Bulla has done that across the last year from working uh, with Marcus and um, with Al and already had some familiarity with some other guys on the team. And again, he was absolutely going to be hired by Boston College, likely into a co-defensive coordinator role. I think that's a win for Notre Dame. And then his passion, uh, as Pete and I really visited at length with him, stood out to me. And I thought Pete had some some really good questions in that setting. And, and it was fun getting to, to talk to Max and hear that. Yeah, I mean, like, he's a football guy. And that like yes. just comes through in what he says and how he says it. Uh, you know, just it's the way he's put together. Uh, I mean, he, he's kind of one of those guys. You know, I think we joked in the past of uh, you since you referenced the 2018 net practice. Like, who's that? Who's that scout team quarterback? He's really got a nice. Oh, it's Reese. Like, 
I think if Bola just hopped into a practice with the linebackers, you'd be like, "Ooh, man, who's is this a new guy? Did they did they did they add a transfer that we don't know about?" Um, he's just really impressive, um, and I I think that he he strikes me as somebody who will be a natural both in terms of relating to the kid who is on profile for Notre Dame and the kid who's off profile for Notre Dame, and that's like not always easy to do. So I, I think that's. You know, he's got a great setup here in terms of learning from both Al Golden and Marcus Freeman. Um, you know, it's uh, it wasn't an apprenticeship like it was at Alabama, which he referenced, which I also thought was amazing. Um, so, yeah, I'm big fan of Max Bulla. Uh, I know pl- talking to players and sort of their families um, were impressed with him a year ago when he was sort of the incoming guy. But um, it, uh, I, I think he is earned that job over the course of the last 12 months. And there's a lot of people that are happy that he got it. I can't do this quote justice, but when he said, I'm good with computers, but where I belong is down there. was one of my favorite things I've heard. Just, just to hear a coach say, I'm good with computers and, and point behind him to the gook and then point to the fields that are down there. That was... I immediately thought of office space and like, I'm a people person. Like, what would you say you do here? Like, I'm good with computers. Like, I I just loved everything about Max Bolo. They could, they, could, they could sub him in for Marcus Freeman on Monday during the seasons if he wants to come out and do his press conference. Uh, we've had uh, we've had plenty of Mike Denbrock time, just uh, not as recent as in the past. But I think the most interesting thing Denbrock said, and kudos to whoever listened to this question downstairs for the TV cameras, was when he went in depth saying, I think we'll be more 11 personnel than 12. I mean, that's maybe because we just know not to ask coordinators those questions <laughs> in the spring. But it turns out you could go ahead and ask. I mean, it, it's. There's no such this not a panacea for all these things, you know, when you're going 11 personnel instead of 12 at Notre Dame. But I started writing in late season last year. It was probably after Clemson, I'm sure, because of what happened in the Clemson game. That The two tight end thing, the three tight end thing, the how cool four tight ends are when you're at the goal line and stuff works great against North Carolina and teams like that. It's tough to not be able to spread the field and run in short yardage situations or pass in short yardage situations with your athletes in space like the best teams do. Because if you put everybody in a box, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, they have answers for it. Clemson, they have answers for it. I know there's exceptions to the rule, but I loved hearing that, and it should be fun to watch with the personnel they have coming up. That was a uh, a Matt Freeman specialty, so shout out Matt Freeman Congrats, for asking Matt. that question. Really savvy uh, question by him, and yeah, some some great insight there from Mike Denbrock, and I think that probably uh, very much certainly excited people. And again, you have a you have a veteran guy comfortable in his skin who is also very transparent about wanting to continue to grow and evolve and find all the possible ways to get better. And I think that's a winning recipe. And I mean, to be fair, like if this roster was Rudolph Eifert, um, I would be, I'd be say you're insane for not, um, you know, leaning into 12 personnel, but it's, it's not, Um, you know, it's Mitchell Evans coming back from ACL. It's Eli Raritan who is scratching the surface. Cooper Flanagan uh, coming into his sophomore year. So I, I don't think that the, the personnel lends itself to what it did. Certainly when Reese was here, like when Reese was here and they ran four Ted ends, like that worked um, last year. I thought you saw a, a pretty noticeable drop off uh, in the efficiency when they went into that set. But um, hopefully, like hopefully that for Notre Dame's sake, that means that they've got three or four receivers that justify going to 11 personnel. Um, because if it does, then that, this could be a much more exciting offense to watch. I, I think it does. Um, but I know what you're saying, Pete. Is it de facto going to 11 personnel because they have to? 
I, I do yeah. think the additions helped that though. Last year they couldn't have done it. Right. And then one one quick tight end note is we still await to see because he missed every game last year. Kevin Ballman, he is back, so there's still that other figure in the in the tight end room to just uh, see where he is at in his recovery and um, what he might potentially be able to contribute down the road for this team. Uh, Irish Illustrated Insider had a 45-minute conversation with Jack Swarbrick yesterday. Uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. I had a few takeaways. We have one or two questions on it as well, um, but I felt I felt myself during it. Um, you know, we obviously had an outline and a plan and everything, but boy, I, I couldn't stop going back to NIL conversations because it feels like it, it just completely dominates everything we do, but not not in the way where, oh, fans want to know this. It's literally, I want to know all these things as well. I feel like NIL just dominates conversations now in the modern college football interviews. I, uh, last week, I was, the last two weeks, I've been out speaking to a couple, a few, three alumni clubs, Phoenix, Sarasota, and Jacksonville. And I would say that 40% of the questions that I get are NIL. Um, so, and there, I've done a couple where it's been more than half. So it, uh, it is the story of college sports right now. Um, you know, what's going on with uh, the court system in Tennessee and Virginia, which I, I don't know if you guys got into this specifically with Jack. I don't think so. Um, essentially, inducements are allowed now um, or or they won't be stopped. So they won't be stopped. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, you know, how Notre Dame has leaned into this more, I think, is more aggressive than maybe Jack wanted to get into just my opinion um but uh i i think that notre dame is is in a pretty healthy spot with it um you know i think the question that i i would i maybe if i had written in a question for you i would i would i would want to know how does he feel about the op-ed that father john wrote in 2015 in the new york times because i feel like notre dame at the time was like basically we'll take our ball and go home that doesn't. That's not how they've acted since, um, which is good. Um, I think that they've gotten comfortable with the new the new order of college sports and figuring out a way to be aggressive and play that this game, but play it in a, a more Notre Dame style way. So um, yeah, I thought I thought it was interesting and like yeah, the NIL stuff. I thought your question about Marcus Burton and Hannah Hidalgo, like what happens when um, an unnamed Duke Kansas basketball yeah. power comes from Marcus Burton. Um, you know, I think Notre Dame women's basketball is a little bit more established than the men's program, but I, that's kind of an interesting dynamic as well. I, yeah. Uh, NIL is the focus everywhere. It's uh, especially since the uh, court ruling, the injunction was issued last Thursday by a federal judge in Tennessee, um, basically halting the NCAA from enforcing any rules surrounding inducements. And as it pertains to recruiting and, and, labeling those as NIL um, opportunities basically or saying they can't be stopped because they're part of the negotiating process. So I've had um, more conversations than I can count about that over the across the, across the past eight days or so. And it was a really great question from you all for, for Jack, because Jack has been very active along with a couple of other people from Notre Dame on Capitol Hill throughout all of this, trying to help um, get some sort of framework, trying to get some guardrails, establish and, and we'll keep talking about it because um, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to know that there's some sort of level playing field out there, but to Notre Dame's credit, um, they didn't stay overly stubborn about that two years ago when it, uh, it took off more than two years ago, but two years ago is when it was pretty much just unleashed through the gates and Notre Dame has responded very quickly across the past two years. I think that's part of 
Um, the charisma of Marcus Freeman and the way that he's built meaningful relationships along the way and can work with other people on campus to help make some of this stuff happen. So, yeah, it probably has unfolded at a much quicker pace than what Jack has wanted. Notre Dame has worked to keep up to that. It is the next great frontier. That's what I've been, um, again, having conversations about. I was on the phone with a, a GM of a Power Four program last night for almost 45 minutes late last night just trying to get educated on it. Uh, Pete, you made a great point about um, the inducements, and basically they can't be legislated or stopped right now. He, he outlined it to me that there are two school of thoughts that, okay, some people are interpreting that injunction as saying, well, now that's not fair because Tennessee and the states of Tennessee and Virginia just to get, get to do whatever they want in recruiting because they're the ones who took the necessary legal steps. But he said the, the practical fact of the matter is everyone's going to do what they want now because nothing's going to stand up in court. There's no fear of reprisal with this injunction having already been issued. And so what you're going to see is it's now going to become – de facto unofficial visits are going to become even more so official visits. You're going to have to pay for unofficial visits. I've already talked to a number of, uh, again, coaches, football GMs, directors of player personnel. I've probably had about seven of those conversations in the last week, ranging from uh, outgoing Pac-12 schools to multiple SEC to uh, schools here in the Midwest. That's the big concern. Everybody wants to know how much money with this most recent court ruling and where things are going in NIL, how much money do we need for the next few months just to pay to get unofficial visitors on campus. So that's something significant. That was really good, um, really good part of the interview from you guys with Jack. I would encourage everybody to listen to that interview from yesterday. It can be found at our homepage, still are on our message board at Irish Illustrated. But Pete, I want to review your travel schedule for speaking engagements. I think those cities were better than, say, like Shelbyville, North Haverbrook, and Ogden or Starkville, right? You did a good job there. Yeah, it's, uh, my... My requirement for speaking to a Notre Dame alumni clubs is would I just visit here anyway? Um, and yeah, that's <laughs> no so, North Platte. Huh? Nope. Yeah. You no, know, Florida and Florida and Arizona are welcome. Denver and Seattle. I'll see you this summer. <laughs> oh, real quick. And one last thing on the, the hoops element of the NIL. Um, and I tweeted this out this week and, and some of you guys retweeted me um, to, to the Hannah Hidalgo point. There's no accident that Notre Dame has taken such a proactive stance sending out or, or handing out some of those golden hoop earrings and and launching a, a website dedicated just to Hannah Hidalgo's um, ACC freshman of the ACC player of the year, national freshman of the year campaign. That's not direct NIL that's marketing, but trust me, that's sending a message to Hannah Hidalgo that, Hey, we value you. We want to build you around, build around you. And she has been getting some significant um, NIL uh, opportunities presented to her, or at least floated to her. And that's going to be a big part of it. I think it's only a matter of time, whether it's here or at a at a school. Maybe it's at an Auburn um, in men's basketball because of the way Bruce Pearl recruits, that they have somebody who signs a deal with Nike, even though they're an Under Armour school. And then what happens? Does that does that student athlete have to tape up those shoes on game days, or what do we do? We already have some Notre Dame women's basketball players that have medical notes to wear Nike shoes. So it's just. A real, really interesting element is what's coming next. And, and the shoe thing and the apparel thing, I think, is more prevalent on the basketball side of uh, college athletics than it is on the football side. We have a few combine questions we can handle in segment two. But just with it underway, I think the, the thing I really want to see, I won't see Cam Hart's medicals. I won't know about Cam Hart's medicals until he gets drafted, I suppose. But how Cam Hart can perform at this and, and, uh, and help his stock, assuming his medicals are OK, uh, they can't be great. And I want to see J.D. Bertrand, after training for the 40, see what he runs. Remember, Drew Tranquil pulled out a 4-5-7. 
at this combine, and you know he trained every single day to run that four five seven. I get the feeling JD Bertrand knew to train every single day to run this forty yard dash as well. That will be an interesting one. Um, yeah, it's I. I saw Javante Jean Baptiste talk sort of explain the All Star game skip uh, or the move, you know, where he had an illness that he overcame. Um, you know, but Bertrand. I think, you know, once and for all, putting Bertrand's speed to rest would be would be lovely at the NFL Combine. So I, ho- I hope that happens. Um, and he, you know, flies through the 40-yard dash just so you can post it and pin it on your message board. We'll be back with segment two, which will include the Hoops Revival and almost an incredible comeback of all time involved in that one. Segment two coming up, Burning Up the Boards. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question goes back to the Swarbrick Conversation segment one. This is from N. Jacobs 3. How surprising was it to hear no movement on the Freeman extension talk? I think that's completely true, or maybe Swarbrick just wants the next AD to be able to get full credit. I think there's probably a little bit of semantics involved there. I don't think in in this day and age in in college football, you don't have coach, you don't have head coaches operating on four-year contract terms anymore unless – um, <clears throat> there's some underlying reason for that. And there's not, you know, Marcus Freeman remains incredibly popular. He took the program a step forward by producing his first 10 win season this past fall as head coach. They've continued to recruit at a very high level. Um, yeah, it will be something that gets ultimately fully handled by Pete Bavacqua and the new leadership. <clears throat> Don't forget there's new presidential leadership coming in as well. So I think you look at those two things <clears throat> that has far more to do with it than anything about um, Notre Dame and, and Marcus Freeman being at some sort of detente. Yeah, I think that he has not earned a contract extension yet. And I thought that Sorberg explained that quite clearly. After this year, you'll see what you, you'll see where things are. Um, this this should be a year where Marcus Freeman earns that contract extension. And it probably, let's be clear, like, I think that he will earn the extension that he wants after this year. Uh, yeah. Whereas I think the one that he would be offered right now, you know, it's kind of a bet on yourself situation. Um, you know, and I think for Notre Dame's point of view, it's like, let, let's see what you got when you have this, you know, a, a very, very good coaching staff, a really good roster. Like Notre Dame feels very all in on the season. If I was Marcus Freeman, I'd be like, all right, this is this is the season I would like to be judged on when it comes to a contract extension. Next question is from Play Like a Champ 7. What are your thoughts on talks of college football expanding before we've ever even played one college football playoff with 12 teams? I thought of Pete when I read this one. Oh, God. This, <laughs> I mean, this the sport is a snake eating its own tail. I've said that a million times. Um, it continues to do that. I the idea of this three three two two one format where the Big Ten gets three automatic bids, the SEC gets three automatic bids, the ACC gets two automatic bids, the Big Twelve gets two automatic bids, Group of Five gets one automatic bid, is disgusting. But it's still, but it is less disgusting than what the Big Ten and the SEC reportedly proposed, which essentially was a four four two two one, where there was one at large bid at the very end of it. I just like. If the college football playoff wants to reward mediocrity and build in revenue, um, guarantee you have guaranteed revenue for those leagues, which is what this whole thing is about. You know, congratulations on killing interest in this before it even gets started. Um, It's just it's disgusting to me. Um, And that that has nothing to do with like its impact on Notre Dame, which is bad. Um, But just in terms of taking a playoff that rewards excellence during the regular season. 
and then just killing that off before you get started. Like the conference championship games are in some ways as interesting, if not more interesting now in the 12 team playoff that's uh, set up three, three, two, two, one. I mean, who cares at that point? I just, I don't know. The, the whole thing is incredibly disappointing, but not surprising. And I know it's not exactly the same, although there were some conferences already in hoops that have um, much larger rosters for their one automatic qualifying bid. But <clears throat> we saw last fall, we've seen pretty much every year of the CFP's final rankings that on an expanded format, the Big Ten and the SEC would have been getting multiple teams in. There's not the need for the guarantee. Right. The guarantee does nothing but um, kill interest in the playoffs almost before they get started in expanded form for sure. But then it further drives down interest in the regular season, which in th- then in turn is going to see ratings fall. And then you're going to have TV executives wanting to go back to the conference commissioners and the university leadership saying, well, we overpaid for these games because not as many people are watching now. Well, yeah, fools, not as many people are watching now because you want a bunch of participation trophies handed out before the season kicks off. That's foolish. That's absolutely foolish. Let it be earned on the field. That's supposed to be the merit of an expanded 12-team playoff is that more teams have a shot by what they do over the course of the season, not that more teams have a shot because they start the year knowing we don't have to be one of the best in our conference. We just get to be top 25% in our conference and we can play for a national title. The funniest though, well, there's only one funny part about this was on my Twitter feed. Somebody thought play like a champ who asked this question, obviously sarcastically because he has seen what's been going on behind the scenes. Someone I guess didn't know. And he's like, why would you want to change the playoffs? <laughs> it's like, that's the point. We have to give it a shot right now. It's yeah. And, and John driving home your point. I think this destroys November. Switching to that three three two two one format, or or as Pete said, the four four is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, and as Jack Swarbrick said yesterday, when you're trying to figure out how to make this season work with the, with the playoffs now, and you're going to expand it more, there cannot be conference championship games. And why would Georgia or Alabama or anyone want to play a conference championship game that could knock you out of something? Yeah, and and the SEC is going to shift to a nine game conference model in a couple of years anyway. Um, they've not been satisfied with the um the negotiating process for a modified TV contract as a result of that. That's why they're band-aiding the 24 and 25 seasons with these still uh, retaining the eight game conference slate instead of the nine game slate. So um, don't, don't overlook the fact that there are a lot of negotiating tactics built into this, but nonetheless, it's, it's stupid. Like let it be earned on the field. Tom, the intern has an objective question. We are going to answer subjectively. As part of my power rankings model, he's updated one that's home field advantage, which determines is is determined by your home win loss record and attendance over a five year period. He had Notre Dame comes out number 10 in his model with mostly SEC and Big Ten teams ahead of them. And of course, Clemson is in there as well as Notre Dame found out at number seven. Do You guys think that's fair around 10. But do you think Notre Dame has about the 10th best home field advantage now, higher or lower? And conveniently, right. Michigan was one, I would like to point out, because they also didn't lose at home as much. During yeah, that that's part of winning at home. Sort yeah. of you know, your home field advantage is uh, informed by how many games you win at home. Um, I think Notre Dame, you know, is a, around 10th sounds about right. Um, yeah, I, 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 wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't spend much time arguing about Notre Dame, whether they're 11th or 7th or 8th or 10th. I think, I think it's maybe... You got two bad losses in there in Marcus Freeman's first yep. year at home because he lost to Marshall and Stanford. That skews it a little bit. Otherwise, 
Notre Dame has been excellent at home. Should have won that game against Georgia in 2017. Had so many opportunities to have had complete control of that game. Settled for far too many field goals over the course of that contest. But they beat Michigan at home during that time. They've beaten Clemson two or two times at home, I think, during that run. Um, Both times when Clemson was a top five team or a number one team. They've beaten an undefeated USC during that time. I don't think Notre Dame has this ultimate home field advantage that a that an LSU does or Georgia or Alabama, particularly at night. Um, Michigan plays, I think, about one tough home game a year. That helps that's too. That's always yeah. a, a midday game, um, and you know they built a long time for that after losing a whole bunch of home games to Ohio State every other year in succession. So. I think Notre Dame around 10 makes sense. Um, I think Notre Dame has a really nice home field advantage. I think if they had more of these games, if they had a Georgia in November, um, what would that look like Um, when when the weather turns a little bit more and you can kind of capitalize on some of the things that Notre Dame very much hopes it gets to capitalize for as long as we have this 12-team playoff. (laughs) Interesting enough, on Tom's model, uh, a team right in front of Notre Dame is Texas A&M. So we can go ahead and judge that next year. I think they have a little bit of a home field advantage when it's the opening game against Notre Dame, definitely at night in August 31st as well. That's that that it kind of makes it more of a home field advantage than when you have to get up for Marshall and Stanford or as Michigan seems to get up for everybody and beat them anyway. But yeah, that's home field advantage when you're rising to the occasion is kind of tough to put into a model, but that'll be when we get to see firsthand. This is from Irish Man 50, and I want to include it because Priester did give me his six choices, so we can do this one pretty quickly. Uh, I'm going to abbreviate his question, but what is the perfect road game schedule for each of the four of you? So we're going to pick six total road games, and one can go ahead and be neutral if you would like. Go ahead. And I, have uh, Priester, uh, I got Priesters yeah, go with out Priesters here, and you can, I'm sure there's some who can guess, but uh, Priester wants to visit. His is based upon favorite cities and stadiums, nothing to do with the fact that you have to play all these teams or strength of schedule, Knoxville, Athens, Austin, Pittsburgh, which I had a feeling he would have in there, mm. Pasadena, and I guess that would be the uh, neutral one, and Colorado Springs. Hmm. I had a decent amount of uh, overlap there. I I sort of viewed it as like you also like what I the game I really want to cover is a playoff game, so I can't have. Uh, Tuscaloosa, Athens, uh, to <laughs> Baton Rouge in there. So I went, I kept it a little bit more realistic. Um, Colorado Springs was one of them because you get to go to Denver Air Force. You can win that game. I like one trip to the sort of research triangle schools per year in North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and I would include like Wake Forest in there too. So any of those four teams would be fine. Arizona State is on there. Washington. Texas would be the marquee road game of a place I really wanted to go to. And then the greatest road trip of them all, Stanford, to close the season. <laughs> I would um, I would go with the University of Texas first. Um, for me, that, that would be one. I've seen games in a lot of places. I've covered a game at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. So that's pretty awesome. I would love to do that again. Washington is a great one. Uh, for me, because I haven't covered it, it would be on my list. I imagine that I will be there this fall. That would be at USC. I've just not seen a game in the Coliseum, so I would like to do that. Um, Penn State would be one. I think there's some mm. some natural history there between Notre Dame and Penn State, so I would very much like to do that. Um, 
been to Michigan, been to Ohio State. No, a Notre Dame night game at LSU I think would be really cool. I've covered a handful of games at LSU through the years. It's a pretty awesome experience. It doesn't you don't ever want to do a day game in Baton Rouge. It's not it's not the same. Um, and then a bunch of the other ones. Yeah, I mean for me it's it's Texas, it's USC in the Coliseum, it's Washington for sure. I've been to Oregon. That one's really neat. It's Penn State for sure. Um, beyond that, I, I don't have a lot of strong feelings. This is a bunch of stadiums I've already been to. Um, so that, those are probably the four main ones. And then, yeah, throw in a couple of playoff games in there. Texas is the overarching one for me, though, for, for sure. Yeah, that's, just that's a the Rose Bowl Pasadena. I'm all for it as a playoff game. Yeah. Like the actual Rose Bowl, not playing UCLA. You take you what you that can one, get. right? The Mo Crum game? Your Mo Crum yeah, game? That, that, that no, I, I remember it fondly. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, I'd like to upgrade to the actual Rose Bowl next time. Yeah, that would not be where I'd like to. I, I'm interested in that because my my season ending was, uh, let's go ahead and qualify for the Fiesta Bowl and stay at the Camelback Inn again. It seems fine to me. Um, but I want to, I've, I've seen two games there, but it's my favorite place to go watch a game on the road is Knoxville. I want to go back to Knoxville and cover a game there. Um, I like ending the season in Manhattan beach. Like Pete ends up like sending the season in half moon Bay for the Stanford game back to Arizona state would be just fine with me. If we can't go to Camelback in, I'll go to the Arizona state in November. And I was considering Washington as well, but I think I'd like to go to Outson stadium, Oregon mm. to see a game there. That might not help the playoff push. If it's a night game against Oregon, maybe for Notre Dame early in the season. Uh, and I want to go to uh, the Grove in Oxford. Never Ooh, been to uh old Miss. I think that would be a lot of fun in the fans would be into that game going against Notre Dame. And of course, guys, Shamrock series game every year, Navy in San Diego. (laughs) Where else are we going to do this? I think we'll save the hoops question uh, for Priester who will join us again next week. Uh, It's Marcus Burton themed with, uh, with some of the best freshmen we've ever seen. Uh, NFL combine though, we didn't get to that in the first segment is starting today ish. And this one's from Karsten 44 with NFL combine upon us. Who are some Notre Dame players that surprise you most with their transition from college to the NFL, positively or negatively? Who exceeded your expectations at the NFL level and who did not live up to those expectations? For me, just because I have much less depth of knowledge than you two, I'll just briefly go first with a couple of more recent ones, and that would be Alohi Gilman and Drew Tranquil. Um, Those guys were very nice college players. I did not see them carving out the sustained roles um, that they're showing in in the NFL now. They're they're both second contract guys and beyond. I think that's impressive. So for me, those are those are just a couple of couple of ones right off the top of my head that I feel like I can speak a little bit to. And then um, I knew Harrison Smith would be good. I'd seen him in high school. I'd done some high school TV stuff with him down in Knoxville. I couldn't have anticipated this sort of elite longevity for yeah. him to where he's very clearly on a path to Canton. Uh, I would say. Although I, I thought Drew Tranquil would basically have exactly the career he's having. Um, so he's, I don't, for me, he didn't need, he did not exceed or um, fail to meet expectations. Alohi Gilman though, I think exceeded though, because I don't think he's such a mentality player in at Notre Dame. I'm not sure if like the physical traits we're going to carry over. They have uh, Brock Wright would be high on my list of guys oh, yeah. that have exceeded yeah. um, expectations going to the next level. Uh, and then, you know, one who I, I don't think is a league right now, but uh, Isaac Rochelle, for sure. Right. Oh, I, I would throw in two more. I thought I thought Kyron Williams would carve a nice role at the NFL level. Um, yeah. I didn't expect him to be the NFL leading rusher, leading leading touchdown producer <laughs> uh, or, or anything like that. So 
So that would be one immediately for me. And then right now, because I think he did show some things at, at the combine and on pro day, Chase Claypool has been disappointing because he can't sustain it or put it all together. The guy has unreal talent, uh, and he was so fun to watch his last year at Notre Dame uh, when he took over some games, especially like that Virginia-Virginia Tech game when he was just so wholly unstoppable. And then he had a great, promising rookie season at Pittsburgh, yeah. and it's dwindled from there. So, you know, I've only been around for a few years, but those stick out to me. I think that's why Claypool should be included is because he was great in his rookie season. Like if that never happened, you would just see the, the normal flame out of a lot of, of college players, but he obviously showed he can play at that level. Um, Kyron Williams is a great call because I was hammering the desk saying Kyron Williams should be drafted. He is an ultimate number two running back and he'll be in the league for two contracts and he'll be excellent and he'll have a couple 800 yard seasons. And now he's way better than that. So as much as I was a huge believer in Kyron Williams and didn't care about his 40 time at the combine, he's wildly exceeded my expectations. Believe it or not, uh, I'm going way back. I did not think Brian Young would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Fantastic player coming out of Notre Dame when he came to the 49ers. He, I mean, he was one of the main reasons they won the Super Bowl that year, going right into the middle of the defensive line against for the 49ers as a rookie. And then he only got better from there. Harrison Smith's a great point. We all thought Harrison Smith would be good, but I didn't know he'd be going to Canton. This is, it's kind of like Zach Martin. We were laughing. I'm sure Pete, Tim, and I were like, why are you not taking Zach Martin? We didn't mean, well, he's going to be first team all pro seven times. We meant he could come start for your football team. So those guys exceed expectations. Um, I, as a kid, thought Chris Zorich should be the most dominant force ever and just ignored the size thing. So he would be my, no, it's again, lead balloon guy I thought would be better in the NFL. I mean, he carved out a fine career, but I thought he'd be an absolutely great player. Yeah, I, uh, Julian Okwara would uh, be more of like a situational success story than he's turned out to be. Um, you know, Jerry Tillery, it just it didn't happen for him at the at the next level. Uh, I thought, you know, was Will Fuller a was he as good as we, what we thought based on college? Probably not. Um, you know, and then just because I thought he was a fun guy to interview and just a engaging personality, I thought Troy Nicholas maybe would would catch on more than he did at the next level. So the, those would be guys that surprised me a little bit. And I, I would throw uh, Matthias Farley in there too of like, I had, I was like, you got to be kidding me that this guy's going to have a six, seven, eight year pro career. Um, you know, when he started not starting uh, in college, uh, but he was yeah, just a hell of a utility and valuable player in the locker room. And we could probably get this one quickly. You guys have a list below Jim Booney, CRS. If you could pick one player ranked outside the top 30, for Irish Illustrated at the end of the season and insert him into the top five of your end season rankings this year, which player would you choose in hopes it gives the greatest impact for Andy to win playoff games? And Jim Booney, CRS says Billy Schroth, who we ranked at 47 uh, as the season ended. I'd go with Eli Rarida. Um, and, and that one was a, was a, a pretty instant answer for me. Um, I'll go back once again to visiting with Jason Garrett a couple of years ago before Eli had gotten hurt. Um, midway through the 22 campaign and, and Garrett telling me that he thought nine, he didn't know his name at the time. He's like, nine was the best player on the practice field. Both times I've been here, he looked really good. That guy's an NFL tight end. If Eli Raritan shows that sort of potential that had Jason Garrett absolutely gushing about him and, and Garrett's forgotten more football than I could ever know, then I think you suddenly have the position to take Notre Dame to a whole other strata on, on offense because you feel really good about your two running backs You've boosted your wide receiver core. You obviously uh, believe you can build and win with Riley Leonard. 
you need that one game-breaking tight end, and and Eli can be that guy. If Eli Raritan is a top-five player for Notre Dame at the end of this season, I think Notre Dame's a playoff team. Uh, I'm going to take somebody that's not on the list at all, but I'm assuming that Bubakar Traore was not in your top 30. Nope, uh, he was not. If he finished in the top five, or I would throw Christian Gray in there. If either of those guys had top five like seasons, uh, this defense is going to be a real pain in the ass to deal with. So I'll I'll go with that. I think that they could – Eli Raritan would be fun to watch as a top five player. Um, I think that if – it's gray or Triori in the top five that Notre Dame probably went 12 and 0. I'm going to cheat because we ranked him 40. And if Steve Angeli is a top five player this year, it means <laughs> Notre Dame has a top five quarterback and Notre Dame is all set because that guarantees what he will be what Riley Leonard and Sam Hartman were supposed to be, which brings us to now Christian Gray would be my realistic call as well, because then you have two top five corners, which is the key to defense actually. <laughs> Uh, Wash ND wants to know, in comparison to where ND was at the start of spring practice last year, is ND better, worse, or about the same at the position groups? So remember, got to go back, not what you know what happened, but back to about last year. Quarterback, and I think we have to include Buckner in that because he was a, uh, he kind of liked him as your backup quarterback too last year, just like people like Angeli. Yeah, I quarterback, you have to say worse. Um because we're trying to, again, remember how we felt at this time last year, um, how we felt about Hartman, how we felt about Buckner coming off being the bowl game MVP. Um, I, I'd say quarterback felt better last year than it does right now. Um, I agree, but I just don't think it will be. But I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, for now, you have to. But with the benefit of hindsight, I like where they are entering. I, I loved what Angeli showed in the bowl game. People say, well, Oregon State was – well, Angeli was playing behind a revamped offensive line, didn't have a bunch of other players, didn't have Audrick Estime. Um, they love what Riley Leonard can do with his legs and growing the accuracy in his arms. So I think they're, um, they're maybe technically slightly lesser off at quarterback as spring camp opens, but I'm like you, I'm bullish – I'm buying the future. I'm buying futures in this quarterback position. Uh, running back, they're obviously not as good off because they don't have Idrick Estime, but it's not as it's not as significant of a drop as what I think people might might view it on the outside. And, and Mel Kuyper just yesterday was talking about Idrick Estime is one of his top three backs available in this upcoming draft. So that gives you an idea. You can't lose a guy who's projected to be a no. top three player at his position to the NFL and think you're better off. But I don't think it's significant. Uh, downfall. If Eli Raritan's healthy, what they've done in the recruiting, I think they're much, much better um, at the wide receiver position and, and tight end. And then I'll let you guys pick it up from, from the positional groupings from there. Yeah, I yeah. mean, worse at worse at running back goes. They had Logan saying. Diggs. Remember, they had Logan Diggs. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a different kind of room. Um, wide receiver, tight end, better. Um, but it's it's kind of hard to think back, like how we felt about Mitchell Evans last year at this time was not how we felt about him on like October 10th. No, um, no it was not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and the receiver room is just better, like without, you know, a whole lot of quality. offensive line, a lot worse. Uh, I mean, a lot. And that that's kind of the big concern for the season for me right now. Yep. Yeah. And defensive line is better because they're older and we like the Viper options more with Treori. Uh, we were not crazy high on JJB going into last year. Um, he obviously, I don't think RJ Oban will finish as Notre Dame's fifth best player, like Priester and I rated JJB fifth or sixth. But I like RJ Oban just as much as I like JJB going into last year at this point, I would say. 
yeah, yeah definitely. Linebacker's, linebacker's worse. I mean, linebacker's worse. That's not definitely um, worse at O line, especially on the edges. Although, um, you know, you feel some hope there. But yeah, again, yeah. much like the the estimate argument I just had with Joe Alt, you're talking about a top two player at his position going into the draft. You can't lose a guy that I think is going to be a ten to twelve year franchise type tackle in the NFL and expect your line to be better. I do think um, not only with what they brought in via the transfer portal, uh, not only what they bring in with um, the young kid that we already discussed first segment on the defensive line as a flash growing with Traore, but then bringing back Riley Mills and Howard Cross is just two absolute grown ass men to anchor the middle of your line, makes your defensive line much better linebacker. Obviously, it's a little bit of a step back because you just lose so much production right. and so much versatility and value with Bertrand and Maris. But again, much like the running back position, you got you got prospects there that, that give you some hope, not suspects. Yeah, I think yeah, change I, can I would, be fun too, right, Pete and John? Like, oh, yeah. it, it's time to have new linebackers at Notre Dame. It's great that Kaiser's there to help, but I mean, we've been watching it since the Florida State game in Tallahassee. It, it's yeah. like, it's time for that, that which is yeah, totally fine I, too. Linebacker by the end of the year, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that was better. Um, but right now, there's no way. Not. You know, right now, no. And it's like, could they could they get better production out of the will position this year than last year? I I would hope that they would. Um, you know, it's just I don't think we're going to be able to see some of the things that Bertrand covered up um, during the season. The essentially the plays that don't happen mm-hmm. um, because he just knew where to be or how or knew how to slide somebody into the position where they were supposed to be when they didn't know that's going to be tough. Um, you know, DB better. Um, I think it's not a question of better. It's like how much, um, you know, Morrison Watts again had, Oh my gosh. We were optimistic about him (laughs) last year, but, uh, not didn't think he was going to be the national defensive player of the year. So Morrison Watts. And we talked about, you know, if gray or Jaden Mickey or, breakout seasons it could be a, a an elite elite secondary um where i think the question would be more this is the best secondary since when i don't know um it but we let's you know we can give it a few months but i i think during the the regular season we'll have the conversation this is the best notre dame secondary since what and i i don't know i don't know what year we're going to go to yeah, I tell you what, guys, we're going to give it a month because we had a question of this is the best secondary since when, and we're going to come back to this podcast and give that a month. We would at least want to see them play a little bit in spring practice. Yeah, I would say definitely feel better <clears throat> about the secondary right now as opposed to a year ago um, because even with having brought in Thomas Harper, you didn't know he was going to be as good as he was. Right. But now you feel like you have two bona fide dudes in Ben and Xavier, and then you got – Got other guys that really excite you, like a Christmas Gray or Christian Gray, and then it's not on there. But I would say um, special teams. You feel better right now than you did a year ago. I think that in talking with people the last few weeks, in my uh, conversation with with Pete Limbo, who's I'm just going to plug, he's an awesome guy. Like if you hear him talk, hear him talk ball or anything, he's such a good dude. Um, so when I talked to him about Mitch Jeter, and he had so many details that he recalled about Mitch from recruiting in in high school all the way back at Memphis now to where Mitch is and to talking pe- to people on campus in the last week to 10 days, they say his talent is really clear. They say that his accuracy is really clear and they feel like, quote, he's going to help us. We're better because we got him. I do want to touch on glasses refs question, even though we started with it, because it's been all over our boards and it's 
pretty important because when Pete said way, way worse, he was not wrong. It can't be better than it was at this point last year. It seems that one position group that could hold the team back this year is the offensive line. How concerned are you that only one full-time starter is returning with two others with minimal end-of-season experience? I mean, concerned because it's like the, you know, John referenced the running back. It's like you lose estimate, you can't be better, you lose all, you can't be better. But at running back, there's Jajarian Price and Jeremiah Love. There's not an offensive tackle like those guys um, in terms of either production or experience. So uh, I the the thing that is stuck in the back of my head is um, talking to sources and understanding how hard Notre Dame pushed to get a transfer at tackle this offseason. Yes. Because that is a tell that they feel like they have some concerns there. Doesn't mean they can't surprise and play well and, you know. They have options. Yeah, they do have Yeah, it, you know, Charles Jagasa could have a breakout season. You know, maybe Tosh Baker is an Asmar Bolal type. I don't know. Um, but I think the staff itself, if you if you had them on this podcast and were like, all right, what's the big, what keeps you up at night? It would be the offensive line. Um, that doesn't mean it can't develop and grow and these are college players, but uh, going into spring practice, I think is a legitimate, legitimate concern. Yeah, and, and how quickly they develop and grow yeah. to me is the singular factor as Pete drinks from a Taylor Swift cup. These I'm calling you out on the yeah. podcast yeah. for sure on that one. I only know because do I have a teenage daughter? Yes, I do. I thought Dan got that for you, but um, <laughs> anyway, I would say that's my singular concern. That's the biggest concern. If Notre Dame's offensive line coalesces and comes along to the potential that we've seen out of those guys, at times in practice and certainly in their recruiting, their recruitments and the recruiting rankings, then again, Notre Dame stays very well positioned to be one of the 12 playoff teams this year. If not, then you're going to talk about a very disappointing season for Notre Dame. I think that those are just facts. Those are just the keys to me that, that will drive ultimately the entire season. I do want to end with a write-in uh, basketball question because we're going to save the historical perspective for Priester's return next week. But this one from Texas Connection. If anybody gets that reference, you get extra bonus points. Give me your thoughts on Notre Dame's last two and a half weeks versus its previous two and a half months covering this basketball team. Oh, it's um, I, I wrote it this week on the site. I've, I've seen it in person. Um, I've enjoyed watching this team and covering this team. I will say um, – a couple of things of note is the status of J.R. Konezny. Um, I don't expect him to play Saturday. I think there's concern there that he could be out two or three more games. What does that do to the momentum that this team has? They obviously had um, wet toilet paper, thin margin of error already um, and going down to the stretch of the season. But they're, they're providing a foundation, I believe. They're getting better. Um, they're like the offensive line that we keep talking about. We're seeing it in front of our eyes. They have absolutely bought in to Micah Shrewsbury. They've absolutely bought in to one another. And the way they're closing season makes you think, to me, that they can have an opportunity a year from now to be a team on the bubble challenging for a tournament berth, particularly depending on what they do potentially in the transfer portal. That was one more quick thing I wanted to note about Notre Dame and its offensive line. There's still one more portal window coming open, I believe April 15th through the 29th or something like that. So there's still a chance. They didn't get the guys. There weren't as many, I don't think, that went into the portal in December at that coveted tackle position um, that they had options for. But there's still a chance that they could get a a portal tackle at the end of April. Then I think we'll have a better idea uh, on this offensive line. 
before Pete answers basketball, I want to I want to interject again. There is a portal window because it included Prince Collie, Tyler Buckner, Lorenzo Styles, and Logan Diggs last year for Notre Dame. The window does exist. It's not it's not all. Uh, I'm already blanked on his name from Rhode Island. It's the Nick McLeod window. Yes, Antonio the Nick McLeod Carter. window is good. It's not yeah. all Antonio Carter. Not all Antonio Carter. No, it's definitely not. Um, yeah, basketball. The Wake Forest game. I I felt like they Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Louisville was not enough to be like, all right, they've got something here. Um, in some ways, I felt like they they were more impressive in Syracuse and Wake Forest than oh, they I were agree. in those three straight wins. Um, and just to plug my other podcast, The Independent, we're actually going to have Micah Shrewsbury on tomorrow. Um, so that would be interesting to sort of talk to him about this. But um, I I think John's assessment is, is spot on here. They can be a bubble team next year um, if what they've done over the last two, three weeks. One, if it, it carries out, you get Clemson this weekend, you know, get one more. Um, one of the last three regular season games. Um I think Michael Shrewsbury can feel pretty good about the fact that, all right, got some of the foundation down um, because that's what the season needed to be about. This is how I feel about them now versus back then. And I think there's a reality involved here too. I think for the first time they are playing well enough now that in the NIT, Notre Dame would make a run in the NIT and beat those other type of teams that are between 70 and 96 in college basketball. But they weren't good enough to get in the NIT the first two and a half months. They're not going to be able to get in unless they make a run to the ACC championship game. Yep. That's how bad they were prior. In which case, you would just qualify. if you For them to win out, they would actually qualify for the NCAA tournament. That's how many games they have to win to qualify for the NIT tournament. Yeah. It's, Automatic bid. It's really shocking um, that watching them now, you think, oh, they could take Clemson. They could be Clemson at home. Why not? They don't have to lose a rematch against Virginia Tech. You know, they can they could be down... 13 in North Carolina and cut it to seven instead of losing by 26, like they would have a month and a half ago if they went down 13 in North Carolina. It's, it's a totally different team. It's a lot more fun to watch. And it's amazing when the ball goes in, how much more fun it can be. I, w- I wish I'd had the stats here directly in front of me. I should have been more prepared, but the second half against Syracuse and the second half against Wake Forest will be te- teach tape for months to come for Micah Shrewsbury and company to give up 43 in the first half at home to Wake and then to stymie them to 22 points and just eight field goals across the entire second half. That's a really, really talented offensive team that has put up some gaudy numbers, scored well into the 80s and 90s a handful of times this year. Those second halves, I thought, were incredible um, performances by Notre Dame, again, that provide foundational moments and teach tape for many months to come. Jumping back to football just really quickly, just one little housekeeping thing to tidy up here. Um, a year ago, around a year ago at this time, Notre Dame hired Butler Benton away from Arkansas. He'd been Arkansas's GM. Um, I think Butler Benton's going to, uh, and Notre Dame are going to part ways here in the coming days and just uh, let him see some different things. I don't, I don't think if, if Chad, if they'd lost Chad Bowden, I don't think you would have seen uh, Butler Benton leaving, but if it was an either or, um, and I think maybe that was a bit the case, then, then Chad Bowden has been your guy and uh, Chad Bowden is who you're kind of building your off the field personnel stuff around and uh, Butler Benton and Marcus Freeman go way back. They're tight friends. It's not a fun situation for anybody, but I think that's sort of how things are moving for Notre Dame and Butler Benton. Good stuff, JB. That is it for this edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back next Friday because as we said, Thursday, March 7th, there is access. We'll have all practice and Marcus Freeman should be a four man crew until then. Thanks for listening. Irish Illustrated Insider, Pete, John Bryce, footballscoop.com, Pete Stamps of the Athletic. This is Tim O'Malley. 
see you next week.